this is the good news. How we doing, Rich Church? Um, this happens from time to time, and uh, I, I'm not going to apologize for it, because sometimes I feel like that we try uh, in church to be so polished that we miss the leading of the Holy Spirit, and, um, and so today, uh, for about five minutes there, I sat and I struggled and I argued with God for a few minutes, and then I realized that he's big and I'm small and I should shut up, and so, um, and so I did. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the message a little bit for you guys. So uh, it will probably explain a little bit why I struggled all week to put a message together that I should know by heart. And that's talking about second chances and the chances that God gives us, um, the chance at restoration and the chance at hope. And so um, we're going to dive into this here in just a second. Let me give you a couple quick announcements. Number one, Kyle mentioned to you, uh, that uh, we are doing tickets this year for Christmas Eve Eve service on December the 23rd. And uh, if you're like, why are we doing that? Go to the website. There's a frequently asked question thing there. And then you can go to the event page and just put your name and email address in. And you'll get some tickets online there. Also, next week, there will be physical tickets that you can actually pick up at Ridge Central. So you can grab those and you can take some to your friends and use them as invites and that kind of thing. Here, here's the deal. We need to know uh, about, roundabout, how many people are going to show up for, for Christmas Eve Eve so we know if we need to add a service or we know, you know if we need to bring out more seats and that kind of thing. We're just going to so we're going to try this. And this is a g- great way for you to send some invites out and um, get those invites out. Let me, let me say this, though. Uh, for those of you who are like, ah, you know, I'm not sure if I want to go. Go and register online now because half the seats are already gone, okay? So you want to make sure that you do that. And you're like, what if I show up and I don't have a ticket? We'll still let you in, I promise, okay? All right, uh, last, last announcement is this. Ridge University uh, kicks back up tonight. We've only got a couple of weeks left before we take a little break for Christmas. And so tonight we're going to dive back into Ridge University with a... Uh, uh, Michael's going to be talking about critics and how we deal with critics and a critical attitude and, and those kinds of things. So if uh, you're... If you're interested in a Bible study that's more like a discussion and something that's a little laid back, then 5.30 tonight, right up here, you're welcome to come and join us, okay? And student ministry tonight also, 5.30, is that right, Chris? Yep, and April, we've got a Bible study on Tuesday night, Tuesday night at 6 o'clock right here, ladies. That's for you, all right, guys, don't come. All right, um, you've got to stay home with the kids. So, uh, let, me, let me ask you this question. How many of you... Now, be honest, because this, this is, a, this is an, a very important question. How many of you have ever bought a slap chop? How many of you know what a slap chop is? This, this thing right here, slap chop. All right, all right. Let me, let, me say, let me say this. The slap chop is the greatest, most amazingly, Dumb invention I've ever seen in my entire life. The slap chop, the slap chop does not work. Let me save you 30 bucks and tell you it does not work, okay? We bought one of these things. Why? I have no idea. Probably because I woke up at 3 a.m., saw the commercial, and was like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to buy that. And, you know, bought a slap chop. But the slap chop, I mean, seriously, 
This, this thing, if you don't know what it is, it's like this vegetable chop thing. You know, it does fruit. It does all kinds of things. You put it in there, and you slap, slap it down, and it's supposed to chop it up, right? It's supposed to work. Well, it never works. Like, we bought this thing, and we got it, and, you know, we tried to use it. And every time we would try to use it, it would just get stuck, and, and all the fruit and everything, the potatoes, it just never, ever worked. But if you watch the infomercial... If you watch the commercial on the Slap Chop, if you go to the website and read about the Slap Chop, if you just look at the box of the Slap Chop, it has all of this great stuff about how it's supposed to be the greatest invention ever, how it's supposed to work, how it's supposed to revolutionize, you know, food processing, I guess. I don't know. But that's what, it's, that's what the label says that it's supposed to do. I don't know if you know this or not. But labels lie. Labels lie. There are labels on all kinds of things. There are labels on products. There are labels on, on just about everything. But I don't know if you've noticed or not, but sometimes whatever the label says is not what is truth. Labels lie. Many of us in this room, we carry around our own labels. We carry our own labels. I have labels that are attached to me. You have labels that are attached to you. We have labels that, that people have given us. We have labels that we have labeled ourselves, but we are all, in some way, form, fashion, we are all labeled. Some of us wear those labels proudly. We wear them out loud. We, we, we wear them openly. Others of us, those labels, we hide as much as we possibly can because we don't want anybody to know what that label is. I can remember being a, a very young pastor and uh, just, just beginning uh, to be um, speaking and, 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 and called into the ministry. And I started in the ministry as a student pastor uh, working with teenagers. And um, I spent a lot of years doing that, 13 years working with teenagers. And I'll never forget, because this happened like almost on a weekly basis, um, but people would come up to me and they would say, hey, do you ever have plans of becoming a real pastor? I'm sorry. <laughs> or they would, say, they would say, one day when you are a real pastor, then you'll get to blah, blah, blah. And so I, I used to be the most insecure pastor ever like I would always walk like if I got asked to come and speak somewhere or preach somewhere it'd be like oh you know I get to go fill in for the real pastor you know and so they, they bring in the scrub you know to, to do the cleanup work you know and so you get to preach on Sunday night you never get to preach on Sunday morning you know when you're not a real pastor it's always on Sunday night right when nobody's going to show up anyway and so I, I, I was always just really in just feeling insignificant. But not only that, but I began to wear this label of feeling unworthy and uncalled and insignificant and unqualified, not good enough. And so I began to, I began to wear this label internally on myself. And before long, after hearing that too many times and after never letting go of that label, I began to believe what that label said, that I was insignificant that I was unworthy, that I was unqualified, that I wasn't good enough. And having hopes of just one day being a real pastor. My wife, she is a um, 
she will not admit this out loud, but, but I'm going to tell on her, and then she'll tell on me. But uh, she is a serial Bachelor watcher. You know what I'm talking about? Ladies, seriously, you watch The Bachelor, okay? Bachelorette, okay, you, you watch that train wreck. It is a train It's like watching it. You can't, you can't turn it off. And so she watches this show, and, and i got to be honest with you, because she watches it, I watch it sometimes, you know, all right? So, um, but it's, I mean, seriously, it's, it's like this, it's like a train wreck. You just have, I mean, you start watching, you just have to watch it. And, um, but the thing, the thing about that show is, is it, it's pretty much the same every time, whether it's The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, one of the two. When someone gets rejected, right, when someone gets rejected, what do they do? They, they put them in the limo, right? They send, them, they send them home, they put them in the limo, and they got the camera in the limo. That has to be the most uncomfortable thing in the entire world. It's like you just got dumped. How you feel, you know? And so you got this camera in your face, and so here they go riding down the street, in the back of this limo, and it's so sad because you hear the same thing just about every single time. I feel so unworthy. I feel so rejected. I feel so unwanted. I feel rejected. And it's a label. It's a label that this person wears. It's a label that, that they will take with them. And, and who knows how long it'll be before, before it, or if ever, if they ever overcome that label that they have been placed with. The longer we carry these labels, the labels that you have, the labels that I have, all of these labels that are written all over us, the longer that we carry these labels, the more likely it is that we become what the label says. Because we believe it. It's like after you hear something for so long, you just start to believe what you've heard, right? So we begin to believe what the label says. This week, like I was saying before, preparing for this message, we're finishing up this Pillars series. And we've been talking about these monuments that Joshua that God had set up through Joshua. Joshua was, he was the person who took over from Moses after Moses brought the people of Egypt uh, or the people of Israel out of Egypt, after he brought them into the promised land, there was a series of seven different monuments that God placed in, in this new promised land for the people of Israel to remember for generations and generations to come. And, and so we've been talking about these different monuments, and, and these monuments, they all signified something different, and they were all to be a reminder to the people of Israel of different things. And so the first week we talked about God's faithfulness. We talked about how, how God has, has been faithful in the past, and so therefore we know that he will be faithful to us in our present, and he will be faithful to us in our future. And so this week we're, we want to look at one more monument that, that Joshua set up, and that monument happens to be a monument of kind of picking up where we left off last week where, where Joshua... He does something that he's not really supposed to do. And a guy by the name of Achan, he, he takes something that he's not supposed to take. And so after the fall of Jericho, Joshua, he gets real prideful. And, and he decides that he's going to take a very small army onto the next city, which happens to be called Ai. And so he takes this army out there. He doesn't consult God about it because he's so prideful in believing that he can just do whatever he wants to do. And so he goes to Ai and he gets his tail whipped. And he comes back, and then he finds out that a guy by the name of Achan took some of the treasure that was in Jericho when Jericho had fallen. When God said, don't touch it, he took it, he touched it, and so God punished them. And so last week we talked about, talked about the consequences of our sin, and, and to be a reminder that, that there is consequence to sin. 
And so we took time to repent last week. So this week in Joshua chapter 7, we'll get there in just a minute, but, but we see what, what happens next is that God comes back to Joshua and, and he restores Joshua and he tells Joshua to go back to Ai and he tells, them, he tells Joshua exactly how to take down this city and to overthrow this city. And Joshua listens to God this time. And then they set up another monument, a monument that shows that there are second chances, that God is a God of second chances, that God is a God of of restoration, that God is a God who builds things back up that have been torn down. And if there's one thing that I know about labels is that labels tear us down. Labels destroy any hope of second chances the longer that we believe the false labels that we have written on us. So as I was preparing for this message this week, the only thing that I could think about and the only thing that I could re- really relate to this was my own second chance. The only labels that I've believed about myself. I, I, I used to tell this story, and when I, when I would tell this story, I used to tell it with such reservation, and I would, I would only tell it every so often, and I wouldn't say it much because I was always afraid of the label that you would put on me. But I, I, I can't be afraid of that anymore because I don't believe any label that you may put on me for the story of how God restored me. Amen. And I'm not saying that you do that. I'm just saying that that's, that's the fear that I have. In 2001, I, um, I, had, I, I had it all. I, I, had, I had it all. I was a student pastor of a very prominent church a very large student ministry, a growing student ministry. God was doing amazing things. It was awesome. I had a, had a great life. I had great things going on in my life, amazing things. And then later in that year of 2001, through some different circumstances and, and other things, uh, my wife at the time, she decided that she would fall in love with somebody else and decided that our marriage that we had had for several years, would be over. And so, through those circumstances and through that trial for me, I had to stand before my church and share what was going on in my life. And I had to step down from that position. And I had to step down from that. And I I was living in Arizona. Understand, this is several thousand miles away from home. I grew up in East Tennessee. East Tennessee was home to me. It's always been home to me. So it was a very, I was very far away from everything that I had known. And we had decided that, uh, that divorce was imminent, and that was what was taking place next. And so my wife at the time, she packed her bags and hopped on a plane and flew home. And I had a Honda Civic that I packed everything that I could possibly get into the trunk and the back seat of and drove with a few guitars maybe a t-shirt and a pair of jeans or something, <laughs> and some books, and a cat. And I dro- Yes, a cat, don't ask. But I, I, dro- I, drove, I drove from Phoenix, Arizona, back to Clinton, Tennessee. It took me two days, two and a half days. I just, I just kept driving. I didn't, I, I didn't stop. I just, I just stopped and took a nap and, and drove home. And I drove home with my tail tucked between my legs. And I came home ashamed, feeling guilty, feeling uh, beat up, feeling uh, like a loser, 
uh, feeling like that I had uh, sinned against God in that, um, that what had happened was it was all my fault and that I would never pastor again. That the calling that God had given me was a calling that would never exist. That at best I would sit in a seat and sing a song and then go home. And so that's what I did for years, for several years. I would attend church on a sporadic basis. I would serve in ministries and commit to serving in a ministry, but then two or three weeks later decide not to show up again because I felt like everybody knew everything about me. And so when they knew that I was a divorced pastor, they would look at me differently. And so I would go to the next church and then to the next church. I had become everything that I had pretty much hated. And it's because I believed the labels that I'd placed on myself. I believed the label that a divorced man could never pastor, that a divorced man could never uh, open the Word of God and teach the Word of God because the Word of God had been taught to me. Because this is what I was taught. And what I found out, when you actually read Scripture, (laughs) it's not true. Because God is the God of second chances, and He's the God of restoration, and the God of hope. And He is the God that builds things that have been torn down. And so I believed these labels, and after a short, after several years of believing these labels, I had a person who uh, spoke into my life and, and spoke truth and spoke scripture and spoke uh, everything that, that I wanted to believe, but spoke that truth into my life to help me see what God, that, that God had called me once, and because he had called me once, that he did not leave me, that he did not forget me, that, that he did not toss me to the side and count me as useless, that God could still use me, that God could still speak through me. And so on a personal level, I've seen it with my own eyes and I've experienced it with my, with my own heart that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fifth chances. That God is a God of restoration, and He is in the restoration business. But we use these labels every day to describe ourselves, and, and, and we put labels on, on other people. And all of these different labels that we use, they carry their own weight. And so let me ask you a question. What is the label that you carried in here with you today? What is the label that, that you have strapped around your wrist? What is the label that you cover up? On your chest? What is the label that maybe someone has put on you or the label that you have put on yourself that you just can't shake? That every time you see it, that every time you think about it, that every time that it's spoken to you, you feel the weight and the guilt and the shame that that label carries with you? Good or bad? Hidden or open? See, I believe that freedom is found when we let go of who we think the label says we are. When Joshua was defeated at Ai the first time, you have to imagine the the label that Joshua began to carry around with him. Now, the Bible says that, that, that he was 
regretful that he began to mourn that, that he tore his clothes and that they threw up ashes and sackcloth and you know the, the whole mourning thing because of the defeat that they had suffered. And so Joshua, you, you, have to, you have to think, Joshua, this was the most powerful army in the world at the time. And they had just got their tails kicked. And so imagine how awful Joshua must have felt. Because he knew, not only did he know that, that they had just got beat, but he knew that he was disobedient to God. And, and doesn't the label say that to us sometimes? That it says, hey, you're wearing this. You, you need to own this. You know why? Because you were disobedient to God, and so you better, you better take that. You better take it. And there is some truth to that. But repentance clears that up. Repentance restores that. So Joshua probably felt like that he had lost the favor of God, that God was no longer with him. In Joshua chapter 1, a couple of weeks ago we talked about this, but in Joshua chapter 1, God made a promise to Joshua. He said, Joshua, everything that the sole of your feet touches, I will give you. Everything that the the sole of your feet touches, I will give you. And then he makes another promise to him. He says, and I'm going to be with you. I have already, already, future tense, I have already given you this land. All Joshua had to do was listen to God and go. And so when Joshua suffered this defeat, you, had to, you have to believe that, that he may have felt like that, that he had just lost the favor of God. And that God was no longer with him. And that promise that God made him, that was just bogus. And maybe you feel like that way too. That whatever mistake you've made, whatever sin you've committed, whatever label that you've carried around says that God is no longer with you. That the favor of God is no longer on you. That God God is not going to prosper you any longer. That you are done, that you are cut off, that that's it. Labels lie. Labels lie. So maybe you find yourself in that position today. I think one of the biggest problems with labels is, is that the label, the label will display our past. It puts our, it, it puts our past on display. But whatever your mistake, whatever your sin... It doesn't make you second class. It doesn't disqualify you from the favor of God. It doesn't cut you off from the presence of God. I believe that the path to experiencing our second chance, it leads right through the word of God. I believe that with all of my heart. Um, in John chapter 5, uh, this is not going to be on the screen because this is what, uh, so if you have a Bible, you'll have to turn there. But uh, in John chapter 5, um, Jesus has this encounter with a man who is crippled and has been laying at this pool. Um, the, pool to, the pool is called Bethesda, and it's, uh, it means uh, the pool, uh, the beautiful pool, the beautiful gate, and uh they, they would come and, and, and bring these people to this pool, and, and they would lay them beside this pool. 
And the belief was that the, the, this urban myth sort of was that, that an angel would come down and stir the water. And when the angel would come down and stir the water up, that the first one in the pool would be healed. And so it was kind of like, you know, last one in the pool is a rotten egg, right? I mean, it, so it was just like it, when, when the angel comes, the water is stirred, the first one in is healed. And so all of these people who needed healing would come around this pool. And they would sit, and they would sit, and they would stay for days and days and days and days, years even, waiting for the water to be stirred, to be the first in the pool. In John chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Isn't that kind of how labels make us? Paralyzed? Blind? One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. See, I love this picture because picture this for a moment. This man who had been crippled for 38 years. Maybe that's been his whole life. Maybe that's been a a large portion of his life. But he has been crippled for 38 years. And so who knows how long he has been coming to this pool. This pool where they believe that if you get in the water, when the water is stirred, that you will be healed. The only one who heals is Jesus. But isn't that what we do? Don't we try all of these other things? Don't, don't, we, don't we do everything that we think that we should do in order to get rid of the label that we have, that we carry with us? I mean, that's why self-help books in bookstores are the largest sections in a bookstore. It's because we believe that we can help ourselves, that we can read a book And that book is going to tell us everything that we should do or shouldn't do in order to heal ourselves. This is exactly what's taking place here. Exactly what's taking place here. So I love what Jesus says to him in verse 8. Listen to what Jesus says. He says this, verse 8. He says, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. The only healing that we will ever have is through Jesus. The only thing that will destroy the label that you carried in here with you is Jesus. Nothing else, nothing else will do. Nothing else will destroy the label except Jesus. Nothing else can restore you except Jesus. This man was restored and healed and he got up and he walked. Healed. Healed. How many of us in, t- in today, you don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of us in t- came in here today saying, man, I, just, I need some healing in my heart. I need some healing in my life. I need some healing to take place. In whatever area of your life, but there is some healing that needs to take place. The only thing that will, will begin that healing is Jesus. The only thing. There's not a self-help book 
that's going to heal you. There's not a psychiatrist that's going to heal you. It's only Jesus. I think there are just a couple of things that that we need to do to get past the labels that we've either put on ourselves or that those that others have put on us to begin the process of restoration and second chance. From the story of Joshua, when Joshua was defeated at Ai the first time, when he began to mourn, um, the first thing that Joshua did, or the first thing that Joshua had to do to begin the process of restoration and second chance was that he had to get over the mistake. He had to get over the mistake. Joshua chapter 7 verse 10, it says this. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua's been mourning. He, he ripped his clothes, threw up the ashes and sackcloth, and he says this. He says, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? This is what God says to Joshua. He, he, he basically says this. Stop your crying. Get up. Get over it. It's time to move on. It's time to go. So the first thing that we have to do is that we got to stop crying over our past mistakes and setbacks. we, we got to go God, because God is speaking to us. God is saying, you got to get up. You know, for me, when I went through, when I went through what I experienced, and for me, the only thing, the only thing that was going to start the process of restoration was for me to move on, was for me to go, i got to quit crying over this. i got to quit being the victim. I've got to move on. I've got to allow God to heal me. The second thing, uh, well, here's what I I believe about that. If we don't let our past die and move on, then our past will not let us live. It just won't. God speaks to Joshua, and Joshua hears him. And Joshua listens to God, and Joshua um, begins to reassemble his army, and they're about to take on Ai again. And so when we get to Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, God begins to speak to Joshua and tells Joshua what he, he must do. And so the second thing that we must do is that we must listen to God. Joshua 8, 1 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. Second step to restoration and, and second chance is that we've got to listen to God. You've got to listen to God. We've got to open our ears and we've got to listen to God. And that may be through reading the word. That may be through someone speaking uh, hope into your life. But we have got to listen to God. He goes on in verse 2. And he says, this is what God says to him, he says, And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So God paints this picture to Joshua says, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. And so we must trust that God is with us. 
We have to listen to God. And by listening to God, we have to understand that God is with us. Again, God in verse 1 and verse 2, he reiterates to Joshua. He says, I'm with you. I'm going before you. I have already given you this. You just need to listen and go. You need to be obedient. And so we must trust that God is with us. When we trust that God is with us, when we understand that God is with us, that he is for us, that gives us all the power that we need to lose the label. It gives us all the power that we need to lose the label. Our identity in Christ, we understand that because of his promise that our identity is in Christ. It's not in the label. It's not in the label. We are his and he is yours. The last thing is this, verse 3. We've got to make our move. Verse 3 says, So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go to Ai. They got up. They assembled the army, and they went forward. If we want to experience a second chance, we've got to go forward. We've got to move. We've got to go God wants to restore us to a greater height. I believe that with all my heart. That God wants to restore you. That God wants to give you a second chance. Maybe it's a fifth chance. Maybe it's a third chance. I don't know how many chances that that you might find yourself on today. But I believe with all my heart that God wants to restore you to a greater height. That God wants to restore what a label maybe has torn down. God wants to restore what a mistake that you have made has torn down. God wants to restore what sin in your life has torn down. What Satan has decided to use to keep you away from the glory and the, and the joy of God. God wants to kick him in his nasty grill and tell him to shut up and to lose the label that you carried in here. It's time to get back. I love, um, I'm going to close with this, but, and, and the band's going to come and play, but I, I, I love football analogies. I, I, can take, I can take football and pretty much identify it with anything because I just love football. Have you ever seen, I know you've seen, if you're a Tennessee fan, you saw this about 20,000 times this season, unfortunately, but... In football, there's this thing called instant replay. And it can be, it can be a blessing or it can, it can be a curse. Like instant replay is one of those things where it's like, it, it, sometimes it's really, really good because it goes in your favor. And sometimes, man, it really stinks because it does not go the way that you had hoped that it would go. But in football, when... When a play happens, and, and maybe it's one of those things where, you know, there's a fumble or, you know, something bad happens, and the refs, they, they, they come out and they say the, the play is under further review. And you're kind of in limbo for a few minutes, right? You're just kind of sitting, and you're sitting there on the edge of your seat, and you're just waiting. You're waiting for the referee to come back and, and to, to tell you what, what, what's going to take place, what's going to happen next. And so they say the play is under further review. And they go and they look and they they look at the play. And sometimes, a lot of times, they come back. And they come back and they stand in front of the entire stadium and they they, they stand out in front of all of the people out on the field. 
And they say these words. Upon further review, the play on the field has been reversed. Upon further review, the play on the field has been reversed. I feel like this morning for some of you that God is speaking to you and saying, upon further review, the play on the field has been reversed. You are not what the label says. You don't have to believe what the label says. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go there. I am yours and you are mine. This morning you can experience that second chance. You can have that restoration when you come to Christ because of the cross that says, upon further review, the play on the field has been reversed. You are not under sin. You are under Christ. And so this morning as the band plays and we close, I want to pray with you and I want to give you the opportunity to respond however God has called you to respond this morning. Right where you sit, come down front if you want. It doesn't matter. There's nothing special about coming down here. But if you want somebody to pray with you, you can come down here. But you can sit right where you're at and pray. And so this morning as as we close, I want to do just that. I want to give you the opportunity. I can't say a prayer for you. You have to say it. You have to speak to God. You have to ask God to restore you. Just like he did with Joshua. God came to Joshua and Joshua went to Ai and they destroyed the city. They destroyed it so quickly. And the Bible says in in chapter 8, it says that that they left the city in ruins. That that, that they left this, this huge pile of rocks where the city used to be and they left it there so that generations to come would pass by those ruins and see that God was a God of restoration and second chances that although Joshua had experienced defeat before that because he was obedient to God because he got up on his feet and he moved and he repented and went forward that they had been restored. And the same is true for us this morning. So however you need to respond to God this morning, in whatever way you need to respond, take the moment to respond to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus, Lord, we ask you, God, that this morning as you're speaking to our hearts, God, and individuals, God, that you fill our hearts with your presence. God, that you fill us with hope. God, that you remind us that that we are not whatever the label says that, that we walked in here with, God. But the label reads now that we are yours, that you are ours that we are under grace. God, we can experience mercy. God, we have been given a second chance. We have restoration. God, my prayer is for anyone in this room, God, who, who walked in with a label, God, that they feel like that they could not shake. God, my prayer is, is that they will not take that label with them. God, that you are destroying 
all shame and all guilt. God, that you are restoring. Jesus, your cross tells us that we are not guilty. God, that we have forgiveness of sins. And that forgiveness gives us our second chance. Jesus, fill us with your grace. Restore us to greater heights. In your name we pray. Amen.